Just before we get started, for some of you who don't know me, my name is Travis, and hi, it's very good to see all of you. Hi, great to worship with you. I just have one announcement for you uh, this evening, and that is that starting on Sundays, Lisa's going to be doing prayer. Uh, if you want to get together Sundays at 9 a.m., uh, you can join in the tin can, and uh, they're just gathering for prayer. So that's another opportunity to connect in a kind of safe setting, so... I encourage you to do that. Um, good. That's all I have for announcements. Uh, I'm, I'm really honored, I guess the word is, to be sharing with you this evening, uh, to, to look at your faces uh, and, yeah, have the opportunity to kind of share what I feel like God has been sharing with me. Uh, so thanks for letting me do that. I know you didn't have a say, but... Um, <laughs> Thanks for not walking out when I walked up, so I'm glad for that. And uh, I'm excited to share with you this evening and uh, with, with you this morning, uh, Facebook group, because uh, this evening I'm going to share a verse, uh, a poem actually, that has been one of my favorite verses in the Bible since I was a teenager. It's really uh, been meaningful for me. Uh, it's um, accompanied me through a lot of different seasons over uh, a bunch of years, and so I'm happy to share that with you and uh, kind of hear how it, how it impacts you. And if it's okay, I'd love to just jump in and turn to, to that now and read that for you. So I uh, invite you, if you have a device and you, you feel like you want to pull it up for yourself and look, we're going to be in Psalm 63. And I think we might have it uh, on the screen as well. Um, and if you're just a listener, you can do that too. I know I do that sometimes as well. But let me read this for us. This is Psalm 63, and it says this. O oh God, you are my God, and I seek you. My soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. And my soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be prey for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. So there is a lot in there for us to unpack uh, this evening and some awkward verses as well. 
that'll be good for, for our conversation. But to start, I'd like for us just to begin with the image of a garden. Any gardeners in here? One, couple, okay, good, good. So uh, if you're not a gardener, pretend in your imagination that you have a beautiful garden, right? Um, maybe, let's say, a vegetable garden. Um, if your garden is thriving, I imagine it takes a few things to make that happen. What are, what are some things to, to help your garden thrive, to grow, to produce? Water is a good one. Yeah, water. Some sun. Yeah, we're doing like eighth grade biology right now. Yeah, some, yeah, some TLC, the right soil, right? Yeah, fertilizer. There you go. Yes. So I, I have a What was that? Got to take out the weeds. Yeah. I have a group of friends, and they all live in a house, and there's a, they have a little lawn, and they decided they were going to get into gardening. And so they got all excited, spent a lot of time, planted a bunch of things, waited. And they, they didn't just do seeds. They did, like, um, what do you call it, like mini, little plants, saplings. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because they, they wanted to give themselves a head start, right? Soon enough, everything just dies. <laughs> they did their best. They tried hard. So then they, they tried again. They planted everything. And this time, they really focused. They dialed in all the watering. They said, all right, we have this down. Everything dies. <laughs> what they finally realized is they had a problem with their soil. Their soil was sick. Have you heard of this? See, I didn't know. I, when I think of soil, I just see dirt, right? But, but the dirt's alive. It's full of nutrients and minerals that help the plants grow. Again, eighth grade biology, I, I was asleep. Um, yeah, <laughs> thanks. I have a partner in that. Uh, and from what I understand, this is a, a, um, one of the common problems with soil is when you plant a, a certain plot of, of land and you grow and you harvest and you do that year after year after year and it produces and it produces and it produces, eventually it gets depleted, right? It runs out of nutrients to give those plants. And I find that interesting, I think because it sounds so human. Doesn't it? To, to give and to give and to give and to produce and to produce and produce. And then all of, all of a sudden, things are kind of dying around you. And you're trying to figure out what just happened, right? I hope I'm not alone in that experience. Yeah. And so this is kind of the context for our poem that I just read for us, Psalm 63. Tradition has it it was written by David. If you're new to the Bible, David was a shepherd who surprisingly was chosen by God to be the next king of Israel. But it wasn't without some trials. And so some of your Bibles or your, uh, your phones, they may say uh, over Psalm 63, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So what happened in the wilderness? Well, he was being hunted. <laughs> he was being chased on two different occasions. 
for, by people who were jealous for the throne, by people who wanted him dead. And so when we read in our poem, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This imagery of an exhausted, weary land kind of feels appropriate. I don't know if anyone here has ever been hunted in the wilderness. I hope not. Um, but I imagine some of you can identify with a season that you would describe as a wilderness, as, as a desert, as a dry land. And if you find yourself in that season currently, my goal this evening and this morning isn't to push you out of that season, but maybe to, to ask the question, what are we going to do while we're here? And if you don't find yourself in a season like that where you, you'd say, hey, this is a really fruitful season for me. I'm feeling great. Everything's going well. Um, I encourage you to lean into these words nonetheless because much of what we listen to in this psalm doesn't just contain advice for times of hardship, but it also describes what it means to be human and as a human, how to have a relationship with God. So his, his prayer, it begins, Oh God. <laughs> have you ever had a prayer like that? Where it's just one word, Jesus, <laughs> help! <laughs> right? That's all he can manage. But he continues. And he says, Oh God, you are my God. It's a simple statement that really isn't that impressive. But there's something beautiful about this prayer. Calling on the name of God, the same Hebrew name for the God when it is written, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. This God, this creator, this father, the everlasting one, the definition of love, capital G, God. And David makes the bold statement, you are mine. God, you are my God. And it really is a beautiful reminder of this unfathomable, transcendent God being vulnerable and accessible and personal. And oftentimes, as humans, I think we need some of those reminders. Maybe occasionally we need to ask ourselves, who or what is my God today? And it, it seems silly, but the truth is we often give that title to other things, to other people, without even realizing it. And we can go for a while constructing altars at the foot of our refrigerators, TV screens, paychecks, or the image in the mirror, without ever recalling that we made that agreement. And so if I could paraphrase the first part of our, our poem here, David writes, You, God, are my God, and I seek you. I thirst for you. I faint for you. My entire being desires you. So when you find yourself in a challenging season or even just everyday life, what are you pursuing day to day? What are you pursuing, and where do your desires lie? I invite you to check in on that quickly. 
Where do your desires lie? I think back to the story of Exodus, where the Israelites are fleeing for their freedom, and they're learning what it means to be a faithful people, to be followers of God. And while the conditions are difficult and they often struggled, there in that weary land, they experienced what it meant to hunger and thirst physically, literally, right? But they also experienced what it meant to find all their fulfillment, everything they needed in the faithful God, right? God himself fed them, gave them water, provided safety and identity. And for us today, we can often build our own kingdoms of self-sufficiency. And I wonder if it would be helpful to simply stop on an occasion and ask, who is my God? And what has he done for me? As the author of the poem is running for his life, he recalls the times when he looked upon God in the sanctuary, beholding his power and his glory. And he remembers that God's steadfast love is better than life. This amazes me. Uh, for David, imagine you know we pull out a whiteboard, one of those big whiteboards, and invite David to share, you know, write all your needs, all your wants, right, at this time, your desires, as you're fleeing in the wilderness. I imagine maybe he'd put things like, not to be murdered, uh, <laughs> food, shelter, water. But what we see in this poem is he, he grabs that marker and he just writes in big letters, God's love. I just need God's love. He says in there, for your steadfast love, it's better than life. It's better than it all. This word for love that he uses isn't just any love. It's a love that doesn't quit. It's a love that keeps its promises. It is a love that is paired with kindness and full of mercy. It is God's love. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And all of a sudden you see that reflecting on God's love turns into worship. And he goes on to describe a life of worship, this worship that flows from remembering what God has done, who God is, and God's faithful love. So if you feel like in the time of musical worship that we have here, if you're in a rut, maybe we just need to remember God's faithful love and allow that to lead us to worship. So this is the part of the, our poem, our psalm, that changes in direction. After he's reminded himself of who God is, what God has done, the role that God plays in his life, satisfaction begins to rise up, even though his context hasn't changed. So he goes from being thirsty and fainting in a weary land to being satisfied as with a rich feast. He goes from seeking God to not being able to stop thinking about God, even in the middle of the night. When David found himself in a threatening situation, he established who his God is, he remembered his experiences of God, 
in the past. He leaned into love, lifted his hands in worship, and trusted in God's protection. David uses the image of a mother bird protecting her young to describe the intimate involvement of this God who he calls his helper. And he concludes this intimate expression of faith with these words, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. A beautiful word picture of an embrace with his heavenly father. And then this poem, it shifts again. And this is what I love about this book, is it's so human. <laughs> so many times we could put ourselves in there and be like, yep, that's how I'd react. <laughs> so you see this shift in David's case. He's fleeing for his life, running from the current king of Israel, who David is destined to replace. His name's Saul. Saul had already thrown spears at David before, so David knew that he meant business. <laughs> and so David, along with faithful followers, are on the run. And in the midst of his eloquent expressions of faith, he says this, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be prey for jackals. Memorize that Bible verse. Right? <laughs> so maybe you've never been running for your life in the wilderness for people who are pursuing you, trying to end your life. But have you ever had an enemy that you occasionally wished was dead? Oops. And here's what's unique about David's situation. We read in another book that he could have done it. He could have done it. He could have taken matters into his own hands. There are two instances where his enemy, Saul, is vulnerable. The first is when Saul is using the restroom and David and his buddies are nearby, and Saul doesn't know that. The second, Saul and his men are asleep. Why wait for God to defend you? Maybe this, maybe this is God putting your enemy in your hands. David's men are urging him, take his life. This is it. This is God's act of kindness towards you. Despite the fact that this man Saul has been trying to kill David, despite the fact that David has been promised the throne where uh, Saul currently sits, he maybe wishes death upon him, <laughs> but he chooses honor. He chooses honor. And he makes it clear, saying, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed to raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. I wonder 
I wonder if the kind of person who chooses to show grace and mercy and honor to a threatening authority, to an enemy, is the same kind of person who says each morning, God, you are my God. If that person sometimes thinks hate, because <laughs> they're human, but they choose love, because they have spent all day and night reflecting on the steadfast love of God that is better than life. So David concludes his poem by choosing to do two things. Rejoice in God and lead his people into worship. Rejoice and worship. Remember that his context hasn't changed. We can still describe it as weary, <laughs> as difficult. But he chooses to rejoice and worship in the midst of it. And lastly, to trust. He chooses to trust that God will take care of him and those people who are pursuing him, the people who are pursuing David trying to take his life. And he does, again, doesn't put it softly. He says, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The mouths of liars will be stopped. But what's interesting about that statement is that word stopped. If you're reading it in Hebrew, you would notice that only one other place in the Bible has that same uh, structure of verb, that same word, only one other place. It's found in the story of Genesis, excuse me, the book of Genesis, in the story of the great flood this flood that covered the land. And it's found when God stopped the waters and caused them to recede. And so here, David, he expresses his trust that the same God who can stop a great flood is also the same God who will deliver him from the flood of his enemies that are pursuing him. And I understand sometimes all of us can feel like we are underwater in the midst of our own flood, struggling to find our own breath, or feel like we're in a desert, needing refreshment, needing nourishment. And I used a lot of words this evening, this morning, to simply say that there is a dependable God who you can lean on, whose love is strong, who is our living spring in the midst of a desert, I had to do that. <laughs> Who's the strong hand pulling our head above water so we can take our next breath. Wilson, if you want to come back up with me here. So David leaves us with some reminders for the week. I think they, okay, cool, yeah. They're up there. Um, so this is what David's inviting us to do, to decide who our God is, to make it personal, to seek after him. Like any relationship, it requires investment. 
to remember the times when he has been faithful in the past, to know that you are loved, to worship him with what you have, to trust in his protection, to receive his embrace, to, yeah, be human, but to choose honor and to choose to rejoice in who our God is. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this space, both here physically and digitally online, to gather and remember, to remember you and what you've done, to remember that you are our God. In the midst of every season, in the midst of the flood and the, the desert, God, you are faithful to us. And today, we remember that your love is better than life. And so right now, as we worship, God, I ask that you'd begin to reorient our desires, our priorities, that you would begin to make a shift in our hearts, in our lives, in our minds, so that we would move a little closer to having you be our first love, our first desire, our everything. In Jesus' name. All right. If I can say a blessing over you all, however you want to receive that. Now, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, May your hunger and thirst for God multiply this weekend. May you have some late nights because you can't help but stop thinking, excuse me, because you can't help but stay awake thinking about God. May you trust him in the desert and in the flood, and may you be human but choose honor as you rejoice in God's faithful love. Go in peace.